So I got set up. <laughs> Ordain me one week, preach the next. <laughs> Pastor Rob's gone. Rick got sick this morning. So got that call. <laughs> Be ready in season and out of season. <laughs> Amen. No, it's good. Uh, excited for what the Lord's going to do this morning. Excited to be here. Um, pray for Pastor Rick because he's sick. A lot of people are getting sick. My wife also is sick. I woke up actually a little late this morning thinking, I'm like, okay, I'm going to cruise into work. We're going to get things ready. And then I got the text like, oh, we need somebody to breach. I'm like, okay. <laughs> sure. Um, what? <laughs> oh, no, but I'm excited. Um, and uh, we're going to be actually going into the Word today. So praise the Lord for that. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, um, verse 8. You guys doing okay? Yeah. You awake? Yeah. I actually kind of like taking communion right after worship. It's just like we're in, we're in and just praising the Lord, and we go directly into just our intimate time with the Lord where we're breaking the bread and drinking the cup and just, just really solidifying where we are. Um, and maybe, maybe some of you guys aren't there yet. Maybe you don't have an understanding of what it is to to take communion, and that's okay. But the encouragement I want you guys all to have is that we're going to find hope in suffering, and there's a hope to be found, and we suffer differently as Christians, amen? The way that we uh, take on our lives looks differently, and, and this is such the importance of, of community. This is why we're so dead set on having this, this ability to meet freely and openly. This is why we stood open during the pandemic, and now we're at a point where people are getting sick again and, and things aren't getting shut down. <laughs> Amen. So that's a great thing, a great thing. And yeah, you can, you can clap for that. Um, but this past week has always been challenging. So something happens, and, and then of course you're just going to walk through whatever it is. And last week was arguably and honestly one of my least favorite weeks of the year working at the church. But it's so great because you see the fruit of what happens. And and for the ladies that were attending on Friday night, it was the week of the Christmas tea. <laughs> yeah, amen. That was such a blessing. For those of you guys that showed up, Tammy and Ira and Lauren and, and uh, Beth just did an awesome job. All the volunteers. If you guys want to give them a round of applause again. like um, For those of you that... Some of you might not even know what the Christmas tea is. I think this was like our 20th time doing the Christmas tea here at Godspeak. So it was a big deal. It's something that we do every year. I definitely encourage you guys to sign up for it next year because it's just a great time to just be a girl, a woman, <laughs> and drink tea and fellowship with one another and have silly games and just, just, just have a time in which we, we praise the Lord um, in community. And that's, that's what church is, right? We're doing community together. We're, we're looking to, to strive with one another and celebrate and break bread with one another. This is why it's so important that you're here this morning and recognize it's not by accident that you're here. Recognize that you have a purpose and a plan and God is, is putting it before you this morning, myself included. No idea what was going to happen this morning, but sometimes you just got to step in. Sometimes you just got to be obedient and, and God does it. God shows up time and time again. He's so faithful even when we're not. And so today, I'm going to be reading um, out of 1 Peter 3, like I said before, and the challenge of, of the way in which we jump into our readings and our word on Sunday is that typically we're not super uh, topical, but 
traditionally Calvary chapels are more exegetical in the way that they teach, which is verse by verse, chapter by chapter. But we're going through the two-year process of getting through the word, through our anchored reading. So oftentimes you come on a Sunday morning and you jump into maybe, maybe a, a, a situation, a group of verses, a story that you might not know the context of. And so it's so important, at least for me, for the young adults that are, attend on Tuesday nights, like we've been going through the book of Mark for a year and a half. <laughs> like it's just like we're almost at the end. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, but we just just harbor home and sometimes like you just can't get away from certain passages and certain insights and God's so good. It's just so rich. Um, and today we're going to be in, in the book of Peter. Why is, it, why is it important? We know the name Peter, but Peter, Peter was mentioned more in the Gospels despite, or, uh, except the name of Jesus. No one speaks in the Gospel as often as Peter does. And, and Jesus spoke more to Peter than any other individual Peter got rebuked more than any other disciple, and Peter had the audacity to try in turn rebuke Jesus, which Jesus promptly said, get behind me, Satan. So he got called Satan by Jesus, so that's cool. <laughs> Peter, Peter was one of the 12 disciples, but of the 12 disciples, he was in Jesus' closest group, Peter, James, and John. Peter was at the, the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, Peter walked on water when he called out to Jesus as he was walking. Jesus asked Peter, how many times do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Jesus responded, then feed my sheep. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says to Peter, on this rock I will build my ecclesia. Right? We know that one. Public square. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. This is Peter. So obviously Peter is pretty important. Right? So when he writes and he pens a letter, He's writing to the church at large. So this is a very different church than pre-death, burial, and resurrection, right? So this is this new church of new believers. Peter was writing to Pontus and Galatia and uh, Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia and beyond, even to us today. So it's important to take notice of the things in which we're, we're diving into today. And, and we're picking up in the middle of the book. So in chapter 3, and so the first two chapters, it's how we should live as believers and the duty that we have in recognizing Jesus is who Jesus is, and a response that is directly tied to the way which we should interact with the world. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. So there are tools, there are steps, there's foundation here that we're, we're getting from Peter. And we get to chapter 3. And for those of you guys that have been in marital counseling, you have an understanding or knowledge of First uh, Peter chapter 3 of, of wives submitting to your husbands. <laughs> and husbands are to dwell with understanding and honor the wives and spiritual understanding that if you don't take care of them, this is actually going to hinder your prayers. It's so interesting. And, and all the different guest speakers and all the, the things that Rob has, has taught on and Pastor Rick has taught on. You know what the one thing that got po us pulled off of YouTube was? Pastor Craig bringing the heat on traditional marriage. <laughs> 40,000 subscribers gone. Amen? A sermon on traditional marriage. That marriage is between a man and a woman. Let's get kicked off of YouTube. Wait, we can't anymore. <laughs> we can't anymore. Amen? But the reality is, is that we have a truth that we're defending, that we're looking for, that we're diving into. So if you guys want to stand with me for the reading of the word, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. And this is talking directly from believer to believer, the church at large, how we're supposed to interact with one another. And then in turn, it's going to change into how we're supposed to deal with suffering. 
So verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and the ears of the, are open to their prayers. But the faith of the Lord is against those who do evil. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Amen. Verse 13, and, he who, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. You are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that they may defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Verse 17 for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. That's our passage today. Let's give it to the Lord. Gracious Father, thank you so much for the gift of today and, and the rain, Lord, and the opportunity to step in even when we're not expecting it. We recognize that everyone here this morning is not here by accident. I pray for myself included that you would speak openly and freely. Father, as I, I deliver your word, that you would move my flesh out of the way. Father, and that you would have your way. You would do the convicting. You would do the insights. You would do the explanations, Lord, and that you would have your way. We're so thankful for your presence and your faithfulness and that you continue to show up. Even when we're not faithful, even when we turn it down and mess up, you're still faithful, God. We love you. We praise you. And all these things we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. So we're finally in December, and it's raining. It's football season. <laughs> Amen? Some of you guys are like watching football on your phones. <laughs> like, can you hurry up? <laughs> it's bowl season. I love, uh, I love college football. I played college football. I'm so thankful for the opportunity that I had there. But the reality is, is that um, this season isn't about football. It's not about what we get. It's what we've been given through Christ coming to the earth. And we're celebrating that as a time and a time and a season of recognition that Christ, God, and human form came to this earth. And it was such a gift. But what do we do with that? We can't, we can't stay there. We can't just receive the gift and say, okay, I'm going to live the rest of my life. <laughs> like, that's not the point. Like, if, if we were, like, if, if, if we just gave our heart to the Lord and then we immediately get raptured, like, awesome, right? But the reality is, is that we're still here. We're not up with him. So what does that mean? That means that there's still more work to be done. Amen? And it's such a cool thing that God actually wants us to partake in this plan as it's unfolding. But the heart of Christ can be seen clearly through Peter. And there's, there's a message today from the Sermon on the Mount which kind of mirrors what, what Peter is getting at, and it's this, this heart of Jesus that we're consistently, we talk about it, we know about it, we do studies about it. David was a man after God's own heart. But we're looking to the heart of Jesus, and we recognize that as Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, he was communicating the heart of the law. 
We recognize the law came off the mountaintop etched in stone, but as Jesus gave like the most epic sermon ever, right? Recognize that we're communicating the heart of the law. He wasn't doing away with the law, but communicating that God had a love for us and what we're supposed to do as Christians on this earth, the reality of being a Christian on earth, the day-in, day-out conduct of a true believer, and what those of this world, the non-believer, would do in response. There's cause and effect. So there's going to be something that happens when we start living out our faith, right? And that's what we're going to be talking about today, living out our faith. I'm going to read very briefly, which just gives us a snapshot of the Sermon on the Mount with Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Jesus, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mount, and when he was seated with his disciples came to him, and they opened, um, then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. And for so they persecuted you, the prophets who were before you. And it just goes on and he gets into it. And I love the Sermon on the Mount. But you can you have this idea that, that Peter is communicating the heart of Jesus, but Peter goes a little bit further because we're talking directly about this, this new church. And so Peter is, is talking to the church at large, the ones that are scattered, the ones that are beyond. How are we supposed to live? Because Jesus isn't coming back in the time that we thought that he would come back. And that's true today, right? Like, we have this expectation. I don't think there's any generation of believers that didn't think that they were the last generation of believers. <laughs> and yet here we are over 2,000 years later. And so Peter is, is, is saying that there's more work to be done, that, that we can't be fighting amongst ourselves, and, and, and that we can't, like, we can't return evil for evil, for backbiting for, for backbiting. It's so important for, for the bride of Christ to strive for unity. It's so, it's so diverse. I mean, even within our own community, it's so diverse. There's so many people with different talents and backgrounds and expectations and even theology, Right? Saying like we're 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 supposed to be better. We're supposed to be not the ones that are are fighting and are chopping each other down. Even even if you experience that in church, even if you you experience somebody's flesh, where where they they slap you across the head metaphorically, right? And you put yourself in situations where things get messy because at the end of the day it's going to get messy because there's people involved. True of any situation, but for believers it's a little bit different. And there's actually a blessing associated with not actually returning the favor, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But this is, this is why I resonate with Peter so much, because Peter's just a hothead, right? We, we know about this in the New Testament. He's just ready, fire, aim, like all the time, like surgically removing his foot from his mouth consistently, like trying to rebuke Jesus. And she's like, get behind me, Satan. Like, you know, he's always pushing the limit. He's always a man full of passion. He's always the one that, that is driving forward, even if he gets it wrong. Even if he gets it wrong, he said, God, you are still bigger. God, you are still greater. I'm still just trying to live out my life for you. And this is what the encouragement for the church is. As we're doing that, as we're striving to live a life for Christ, stop the fighting within the church, even the church down the street. I mean, they're not our enemy. 
the church in this community, the other churches in this community, they're not our enemies. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a unique calling here, right, as we plunge into culture, as we plunge into politics, as we plunge into our responsibility to this world. And if, if they don't get it, that's fine. That's on them. But we're called to this. So we're going to keep going. And we're going to keep moving our feet. And sometimes we're going to get it wrong. But there's grace for that. And we're going to do the best of our ability to come together as a community to keep each other accountable, to strive forward. Because there is a world that is in a desperate need of Jesus. Amen? So this is the heart, being the body of Christ. We're turning evil for evil. It's not something that we should do. And if we're, we're called to this, and if we're able to turn the other cheek, there's actually a blessing that comes with it. There's a blessing when we're not returning evil for evil. I don't always want to do that. <laughs> in my flesh, I'm, uh, a lot of my job doesn't pertain to teaching. A lot of it is, is cleaning. A lot of it is set up and tear down and all those things. And, and sometimes Christians are just, just people. <laughs> and I'll be very, very honest. Like, I, 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 it, I have people challenge my faith. <laughs> Amen, right? <laughs> and that's a good thing. But the reality is that there's blessing that comes with holding your tongue. There's blessing that comes from pulling punches. There's blessing that comes from serving in such a way that it doesn't matter what's said to you, done to you, talked about behind your back. We're serving in a capacity for something bigger than ourselves. What does Peter say in verse 13? When you're attacked for your faith, and this is kind of the heart of the message, when you're attacked for your faith, it's kind of interesting the way that Peter introduces this, this idea, this premise of persecution. He's almost sarcastic. He's almost sarcastic. It sounds, it sounds like, who is going to harm you for speaking good and being good and doing good? Like, you're doing the right thing. You should, like, that would be ridiculous. It would be ridiculous. If you become followers of what is good and he who is, who is he who will harm you? This idea of harming, to treat with contempt. In Greek word, kaku, to be bitter towards or be embittered against someone, to target as an object of mistreatment. Today that means something a little different than it probably did 2,000 years ago. The Roman kingdom was pretty keen on skinning Christians alive and burning them at the stake and crucifying them and making an example, right? For hundreds of years we saw this. Today it just looks like maybe a, a harsh Facebook message. <laughs> or something written about you in a newspaper. And I'm not negating those things. Those are serious things, and they hurt. But the reality is, is that there's blessing. Like, of course they're going to do that. Why are you surprised by that? Why are you surprised by that? And there's a dual meaning here. There are going to be people that desire to harm you. It's true. This is the world that we live in. This is the world that we're stepping into. We're stepping into culture. We're stepping into the environments in which God has called us to, a school and our jobs and our families, you name it. Like there's gonna be people that want to do you harm. But the truth is, the encouragement is, is that they can't actually harm you. Remember that. They may, maybe your flesh or your pride, or they can throw you in jail in the most extreme sense, but, but eternally, we've overcome because we're followers of Christ. It's like, it's like when we shut down the church initially and then we wanted to open back up. Like, why? What, what, what am I at risk of? 
Pastor Rob came before the board of elders and the pastors just like, we might lose everything. But the word from the Lord to him was, yea, though he slay me, still I will praise him. We're invincible until God is done with us. So what is holding us back? But listen to me. To the unbeliever, the unbeliever, outside of these walls, right? The name of Jesus means nothing. It's just a name. Maybe something they swear by, Jesus Christ. It's just a name. Who cares? In the Bible, no one cares about the scriptures you study or the word that you got or the Bible study that you're in or the great insight that you got from the Holy Spirit. To the unbeliever, that's just, okay, (laughs) you're a little bit weird. So what's the problem? When do you start experiencing that pushback? When do you start experiencing that suffering that we're supposed to be blessed by? Your changed life is the problem. Your testimony is the problem. See, I used to be this. I used to be this sinner. I used to be this drunkard. I used to be this ladies' man. I used to be X, Y, and Z. I used to struggle with all of this, but now I'm something different. The testimony of Christ in a transformative life is is the thing that really pisses people off. When it's outside of these walls. Do what you want in your church. They want to compartmentalize us to the church. Compartmentalize us. You just just stay in your corner. Take care of your things. Yeah, you do the Jesus thing, you weirdo. And (laughs) And then just stay in that building. But when you step outside those walls, what are you doing here? Get that Jesus junk out of here. I know you. I know your history. You're supposed to be a Christian. But that's, such the, that's the cool thing, right? That's, that's that open door. Well, well, the thing is that I'm not the standard of what Christ is. Actually, Christ, Jesus, in the scriptures is the standard that I'm trying to live up to. Yeah, I am a sinner from my past, but I have been restored. I have been redeemed, and now I'm striving towards something, and I want you to have an understanding of what that is, the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. But the world wants to compartmentalize what we believe. Don't you show up to school board meetings? Don't you show up to a city council meeting and and quote scripture to me? Who are you to do that? Go back to your church. Why are you you in a board meeting and a business deal and you're talking about Jesus? Well, we're going to pray about it. Get that crap out of here. You want to start pissing people off? Start talking about Jesus. Start living out Jesus. Start being people of character. Start implementing our values and truth and understanding. Shocker, traditional marriage. We're supposed to draw that line in the stand. That's our job. That's why we're here. What are we, what are we here to do? Retire and live out the rest of our days? That's what heaven's for. I'm not bashing retirement, but the reality is is that just because you stop working in the work world doesn't mean you're done. It means now you have more opportunity to serve the kingdom. Amen? Yeah, you can clap for that. For someone like me who grew up without a biological dad in the household, I'm telling you now that my generation, the generation below me, and the ones after that are in desperate need of the generation that came before us to start instilling values, to start mentoring, to step into our lives. We need your mentorship. We need your wisdom. We need your counsel. We need you to come alongside of us because we don't know what the heck we're doing. 
The world wants you to compartmentalize yourself to a Sunday morning or maybe a weekly Bible study. You were called to more than that. You were called to more than that. The reality is is that most of us past 30 are starting to fall apart. (laughs) Maybe a piece at a time. I don't bounce back. I'm 32. I'm not super old, not super young, kind of right in between. I don't bounce back like I used to. I'm paying for all the years that I played football, <laughs> right? I wake up and I throw out my back. I sneeze and I throw out my back. My knees are shot, right? Good grief. Obviously, our bodies are in a state of decay. <laughs> for some of us, that's more apparent than others. I was talking to Pastor Craig this morning because we both got that text, and, and it's funny because he gets a, a knee replacement surgery this coming Wednesday, and there's always, so, something's always happened to Craig. He's always getting tested physically, <laughs> And, and Dominic, our, our high school guy, our youth guy, said, uh, Jesus is just rapturing you a piece at a time. <laughs> Bodies. And it's, it's, it's the truth for all of us, whether you're a believer or not. Outside of the, the, the second coming of Christ, we're, none of us are getting out alive. So what we do with this time on earth is so precious. You have an opportunity to live honorably, and, and you're never too far gone. You're never too old. You're never too young. There's always opportunity that God has placed in front of you right now, right today. But if we suffer, and we have, we have, we have this expectation of suffering, you should suffer for righteousness' sake. You are blessed, Right? See, the heart of Christ, and we always know in this Christmas time, it's the Christ, the, the, the coming king. He's coming to joy to all the world that the, the Christ has come. But when Christ was here on this earth, his message was a little bit different. Matthew 10, 34 through 36, this is Jesus speaking. Do not think I came to bring peace to earth. What? <laughs> they don't sing carols about that. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Maybe that's easier for some people. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. You don't see that on a Christmas mug. (laughs) We didn't read that at the Christmas tea. The reality is, is that we're, we're living this life and we have to have an understanding that we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual war. And it's going to take risk. God's calling us to, to endeavor to step in. See, Satan doesn't need us to renounce our faith. He doesn't need to kill you. He just needs you to compromise. And compromise your holiness. How do you compromise, compromise your holiness? It's the little compromises we make every single day with the things that we watch, the things that we listen to, the things that we're taking in. And it's just like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, it's just a little bit nudity, nudity on that, that screen. Oh, it's just the things that I'm reading. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. And we make compromises, 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 compromises. And then when it's actually time for us to step in and tell someone about Jesus, we're like, ah, someone else can do that. <laughs> Myself included. I'm totally, I'm totally... You're, you're preaching to the choir here, right? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm hearing it. This is convicting me. 
But the reality is, is that when we don't compromise our values, the world is going to start taking notice and they're going to start hating you and they're going to start trying to chip away at what you're doing. Matthew 5, 11 said, Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. I get, for a long time, I got really frustrated with Pastor Rob because he would, like during this last three years, because he would take these interviews with these reporters. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, they're going to be so nice to your face and actually tear you a new one in, the, in, in what they're going to write about you, Right? Why do you do this? Why do you give them the time of day? It's better to just ignore them and keep plowing. And Rob always convicted me with the, the reality is that any, every enemy is the opportunity. There's not a lot of pastors that are getting interviewed right now. But it goes beyond what Rob actually just says in the interview. It's actually he's looking to bless that reporter individually. He's combating on the macro, but he's loving on the micro. He has the opportunity to minister to someone that he probably wouldn't have the opportunity elsewhere. So he's finding out their name and their spouse's name and their kid's name and when their birthday is, and he's in. He's investing. He's looking to love and minister to that person, regardless of what is written about him, regardless of what the outcome is. He's pressing in. It's something I respect about him so much because I don't, I don't know if I have that. <laughs> I'm Peter. I just want to slice off his ear. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but Peter goes on in verse 14 and says, Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And this is important. Always be ready to give a defense in season and out of season, to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. What is that hope that you have in you? Do you yourself know what it is to have hope in Christ? What does that look like in your life? Are you able to actually communicate that with your words? That means you guys have a responsibility of studying. You guys have a responsibility of having an understanding of what your theology is to God. You come on a Sunday and it can't stop there. You come to a Bible study and it can't stop there. You have to dig in and dive in. You have to know what you believe. You can't just be receiving all the time. Yeah, but I'm saved by grace. Yeah, you are. You keep sinning so that grace may abound. It's a cheap grace. There's a call, there's a responsibility, there's this opportunity to step in, and I can't tell you what that is. I don't know your life individually, so maybe some of you. But what's so cool about this life is that you, individually, have a life that no one in the history of mankind has ever lived. Your relationships, your experiences, all the things, you are so unique and beautiful in that way, but yet you're called to be part of community and collective in this thing that we call the church. There's that balance. But you in your, your walk with the Lord, you in your job, you in your school, you in, in, in your relationship with your family, like I just said, in Thanksgiving dinner. Like, no, we don't talk about church and we don't talk about politics. It's probably hard for a lot of us at this church, <laughs> right? Can't shut us up. <laughs> Where we don't need to be holding punches is telling the truth, but to be discerning on how to give it. Does that make sense? But don't think that you can just drop a truth bomb 
and be free from not feeling a blowback. Amen? Amen. We're going to suffer for it. But there's hope to be found. Having a good conscience that they may defame you as evildoers, they in turn are going to call you evil. You go to that church in Newberry Park, you're a cult member. (laughs) You weirdo. Okay. (laughs) I love Jesus. I know there's a ton of fruit of what is going on right now. I mean, literally, guys, seven days a week, and I'm so proud of our church because of it. Seven days a week, there is something happening in this building or our other buildings. There's ministry going on. There's people that are experiencing freedom and encouragement and community. Seven days a week. It doesn't just happen on Saturday and Sundays. That is a sign of a healthy church. A church that is willing to step into community. We're not a dying church. We're a growing church spiritually. And I love that. I love that so much. But we shouldn't be afraid. Yeah, amen. You can clap for that. And people love their sin. Isn't that true? When we start living good, when we start living righteously, it reveals their sin. They don't want that. They're trying to come up with new ways to sin. They're putting a new stamp on it. Blessiaga, whatever the name is, right? It's just normal. Should we be surprised by it? No. Evil is going to do what evil is going to do. There's no morality. There's no moral code. Blessiaga, that was the name. For those of you guys that don't know, they did an entire photo shoot where they they were encouraging child porn, essentially. And there was many different signs and many different notions of that. And that's just the wickedness that we live in, Right? So we, should we be surprised when we actually say something? Oh, no, that's wrong. Well, what do you mean it's wrong? <laughs> what is wrong? What is evil? And they start questioning in that order. But the reality is that we know the truth. We have an understanding of what the truth is because Scripture tells us. So it's not just our own philosophy and our own feelings and our own thoughts about life. No, we go to Scripture. We have a truth. We have a standard. We have something that we are able to draw the line in the sand about. So we're going to feel pushback because people love their sin. Don't call us out on our darkness. Who are you to say that it's dark? Well, I've experienced the light, so I know that's dark. I know that's dark. Remember, the enemy doesn't have to kill us anymore. Just compartmentalize us to not acting out our faith, not utilizing us, just to compromise and be silent. Just stay at home. Watch from your television. Go to church in your PJs. <laughs> Not trying to convict anyone that's out there. I'm just saying, we're here. <laughs> but I don't want you guys to be apathetic, and this was a call to me too, is that I don't want to be apathetic. There are still more things that I can do. There's still more things I can press into, and the Lord gave me this, this illustration a couple weeks ago. And I talked about football, and I talked about playing football in college, and this idea of, of being a fan versus a, an actual player. Because a fan, you can, you can have season tickets, you can show up every Sunday or Saturday, and you can, you can paint your body, you can buy the helmet, it, it, say if this football, whatever you guys play, or if you guys are turned off by football, whatever the sport is that you like, maybe you don't like sports. But the reality is I'm talking about football because I'm teaching, so deal with it. Um, <laughs> but you can buy the helmet, you can buy the jersey, you can wear the cleats, you can show up every single game. And you can know the, the, the playbook and you can know everything there is about the team and the coach and the players and, and who the backup team is. And, and you're just so involved and you're a super fan, 
right? At Boise State, we, we called it bleeding blue. Like, you cut me open and I'm blue. I'm Boise State through and through. Like, <laughs> this is the mentality. Like, I, I show up every single week. And I'm a fan. I die, I'm part of the team. Texas A&M as the 12th man. The fans are so loud that it actually becomes hard. Well, I was screaming and I was yelling and I'm part of that team. And you make it all the way through the end of the season and you get into a bowl game or you get to the championship and the team wins. The team wins. And then as a fan, your, 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 your whole body is painted orange and whatever color and your hair's on fire. And I've been at every game. And you go up to the coach and say, I've been to every single game. I, I, I'm part of the atmosphere. I'm yelling. I know your playbook. I know everything there is to know about you. Aren't you glad that we won the championship? Here's my ring size. I'm a ring, size 10. And my name is Crawford, if you could put that on the ring. And, and I can't wait to be at the celebratory party afterwards. The coach looks at you. Who? Who are you? <laughs> You're not. You weren't. I mean, thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for being part of the team. But you weren't part of the team. You weren't sacrificing. You weren't actually on the field, right? It didn't actually cost you anything. There wasn't a risk involved. Same goes with our faith. The scariest verse in all scripture, in my opinion, is Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, coach, coach, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does my will, does the will of the Father who is in heaven, will enter. So that action, that requirement of action, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. That's a scary verse. How many of us are casting out demons on the reg? The thing is, is that the heart of Christ is calling you to first string. But the difference between football and Christianity is that you don't need to be the top 1%. You don't need to be the most in shape. You don't need to be the most talented or most disciplined. Christ says, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. No one shows up. They just want to be part of the atmosphere. They just want to be part of the stands. They just want to be part of what's going on. And there's an open call on the roster, and Christ said, I want you on my team. I don't care how young or old you are. I don't care how big the team is. I don't even care if you think that you're going to be taken out. Because if you step onto the field, there's a risk of getting hurt. There's a risk of getting taken out. Maybe you're taken out on an ambulance, but you still stepped out onto the field. You're still part of the team. I'm such a competitive person that I, I want to be part of the winning team. <laughs> I don't care how many Goliaths are on the other team, how insurmountable the odds are. I know what happens at the end of the book. So if God calls me onto the field, I'm going to step onto the field. I don't know what's going to happen. It's scary sometimes. Especially for me, I love planning things out. I don't know the picture and the, the, the whole layout of my life. I don't know how dark the valley gets before me. But scripture tells us that the Lord is a lamp unto our feet. Sometimes we only can see what is right in front of us. 
Sometimes we can only see the next step. Do we have the courage to take that next step? Do we have the courage to take that next step? God has called you to the starting team. And what Peter's conveying in his letter is that it's going to (laughs) hurt. Some big old boys out there, and they're going to blindside you. You're going to get knocked upside the head. But rejoice. Be glad. It's a blessing. You're part of the team. You get beat up, come on. Because we suffer differently than, than the rest of the world. We experience tragedy. We experience heartache. We experience death. But the way in which we respond is different. We have a hope. We know eternity. We know who gives us access to eternity. We don't suffer like the rest of the world. This is why community is so important and something that we fought so hard for. We hold each other, we hold each other up in prayer. We intercede on each other's behalfs. My question and the encouragement this morning is that what is God calling you into? Just like the heart of Peter, he sometimes he got it wrong, man. Peter's the only one that stepped out of the boat onto the water when Jesus was walking across in the midst of the storm. I'll tell you this now and I'll tell you again. I'd rather be in the water drowning than still in the boat. I'd rather be trying, I'd rather give it all. Maybe I get it wrong, but God is so faithful. He's always going to pick me up. He's always going to save us. He's called you to mourn. Yes. That's good. So question yourself this morning, what is getting in the way of me stepping onto the field? Let's pray. Awesome. Gracious Father, thank you so much for the gift of today and the gift of your word and your heart, Lord, that you pursue us in such a way that is so unique to each and every one of our lives that, that there's a call greater than ourselves. The world wants us to be obsessed with what makes us happy. Just do what makes you feel good. Just do what makes you happy. Just just treat yourself all the time. But we recognize that as a satanic principle. We're not here for ourselves. We're here for you. We're here for the expansion of your kingdom. We're here for the expansion of your truth. We're here to fight. That fight looks different for all of us. We're all uniquely equipped and gifted in different ways. Not all of us are called to be up here on a Sunday morning. That doesn't mean the world that we're involved in around us doesn't need our help. Father, I pray that, that you would turn on the lights of some people, that you would ignite those places in their hearts that maybe have been dormant for years, and you'd call to action because this world is in desperate, desperate need of a touch from you and a church whose heart is on fire that is willing to step into the arena even if they get slain. Thank you so much that you would come to earth, that you would take on our sin, that you would die for us. But it's not that just that you would die. It's that you were resurrected. Because if you never resurrected, all of this is for nothing. But we believe completely and truly that you resurrected with the keys and the victory over death. 
So we rely on that, and that is the hope that we get to rely on and step into and proclaim. Father, encourage us, strengthen us. And even when we feel weak, and even when we feel afraid, you are our strong tower, the one in which we can rely on. We love you, Jesus. In all these things we pray, amen.